0: to St. John, the 17th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. After Jesus, Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, so now, Father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. They are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one. Even as we are one, the Gospel of the Lord
1: praise, praise you, to you, O Christ. Christ. Let's
0: be seated. All right, I'm going to do something that. I actually, so I've been doing this for more than 40 years. I don't think I've ever done this, but this is the sermon that I wrote. I worked hard on this sermon this week. I always work hard on preaching. I love to preach. I just don't think this is a good sermon. And I thought about it driving up, and I thought, Don, if you think this isn't a good sermon, do you have the guts to just go. <laughs> and so in, instead, instead, we're going to reflect together in three scenes, on three scenes. Are you ready? What I want you to do first is this. Go ahead, stretch out your neck. Wow. I have never really noticed (laughs) that cross right through the skylight. Men of Galilee, women of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? That's the first scene. That's the first scene. We're all looking up. So the word ascension can trick us. The word ascension can trick us. So we confess in the creed that our Lord Jesus, vindicated by God through resurrection, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, where is that? Is it up there? So Martin Luther got into a squabble with a guy named Ulrich Zwingli, say that. Ulrich Zwingli. This was during the period of the Reformation, and these Reformers were arguing about the presence of Christ in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. And Luther, being a rather, well, conservative Catholic, insisted that Christ is truly present in Holy Communion. Christ is truly present with his body and blood in the bread and the wine of Holy Communion. Why? Because he has promised to be. And Zwingli, who was a smart guy, they met in a city called Marburg and had a debate about this. And Zwingli said, that's just silly, because we know that Christ has ascended To the right hand of the Father, and that's where he is now. So how can he be there and on every communion table in the world? And Luther, being Luther, got mad (laughs) and supposedly smacked his fist on the table and said, Christ is present in the bread of wine of communion because he's present in my cabbage soup. What Luther meant by that is one of the key insights of his reform theology. Luther understood that the exaltation of Christ is an exaltation into creation, an exaltation into the suffering of humankind. So Luther asked Zwingli, what does the right hand of God mean? And Zwingli gave the right answer. It means, well, the right hand of God is a metaphor for God's almighty ruling sovereignty in creation, in all things. And Luther said, you got it. The right hand of God is a metaphor for the way God is ruling in all things, and Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is present, Luther said, hidden within all things, within the leaves that are breaking forth, within the song that greets you in the morning, Christ is the one who is present in all things, Luther said, for our good, holding all things together. Christ is most truly present, though, Luther said, in suffering. Christ has ascended most deeply into human pain and suffering, not only human pain and suffering, but the pain and suffering of all living things. That is where God is most truly with us, insisted Luther, and I think, insists Jesus. <laughs> I am with you to the end of the age. This is why Peter can say what he says to us this morning. In the second reading, and that brings us to our second scene. It also involved standing and looking up, but it's a different image. Easter evening, as a member of Faith Lutheran Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I went and stood in front of our church as it was burning down, gazing up at the steeple which remained at the cross which stood atop the steeple, Peter, writing to a group of Christians who are experiencing distress and some form of persecution, says to them, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which has now overtaken you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. Suffering isn't strange, is it? (laughs) Suffering isn't strange. We all experience forms of suffering. And Peter wants to assure we human beings who suffer sometimes due to decisions we make, sometimes due to things that seem random, sometimes due to the malice of others, we suffer. And Peter wants to assure us that Christ has ascended deeply into that pain to be with us, to make the right hand of God truly present also in our pain so that God's sovereignty is now forever shaped by your finitude so that God's sovereignty, God's very being, is now forever shaped by both the joys and the pain and sorrow that you live through. That's why Peter can say, rejoice when you experience this because this is an opportunity for you This is an opportunity for you to experience the depths of real joy, not fake joy, not the kind of happiness that we often try to manufacture for ourselves. No, this is the kind of joy that erupts within us through the knowledge that the living God cares enough to walk with us through all things. Hmm. Rejoice, Peter says. That's not an admonition to go grinning through your personal Gethsemanes, but it is an encouragement to recognize that even in the midst of the world's suffering, Christ is present with us. So, Peter and Jesus, want to tell us that the kind of suffering that we all endure, Christ cares about, is present with us, but especially Christ is present when we suffer for the sake of the name. Both Peter and Jesus in his prayer talk about that. In 1986, excuse me, I spent the summer in Czechoslovakia, which was still a communist country. I was there to, I was a pastor serving in a ministry where I preached in Slovak and English every morning, every, not every morning, every Sunday morning. If you don't know what Slovak is, you can look it up on Wikipedia, but it's a language spoken by about four million people in the eastern area of what used to be Czechoslovakia, now an independent country, Slovakia. <clears throat> it was a communist country at the time. And my roommates, uh, I was stud- so I went there to, to learn more of the language. I went to Komensky University in Bratislava. And my roommates, I had four roommates, a guy from Poland named Ferko who spoke perfect Slovak and didn't need to study any of it. He was just there for a vacation, and this was a way to get it. Two professors of Marxism from East Berlin who thought I was so quaint and interesting because I believed in God. And then the last guy was a guy named Tibor Motyan, Tibor was from a village, uh, a small city actually, in Hungary, called Sarvas, And uh, Tibor was a Lutheran, a practicing Lutheran, a member of his congregation, and in fact, the Tayomnik. The Tayomnik was kind of like Mark is in this congregation. Mark Donahue should be given the name by... He should be called the Tayomnik. Next time you see him, say that to him. Um, pan Tayomnik. Um, so, <clears throat> Tibor was, he worked in Sarabash as a musician. And his job, he was the number two guy in the Ministry of Culture for that region of Hungary. And it turned out he was an amazing violinist, just amazing. I didn't know that right away because he did not bring his violin with him. He didn't think he could get it through the border. So um, as we got to know one another, I learned that he would probably forever remain the number two guy in the Ministry of Culture in, in that region of Hungary because he was a Christian. A practicing Christian, and it was known. Uh, he didn't wear this on his sleeve. He wasn't out on the streets um, with signs saying, are you saved? He wasn't that kind of Christian, but he also didn't hide fact that he was a Christian and that he was involved in the life of a, a church. And he was told by the guy at the top in Budapest, as long as you continue to go to church, you'll continue to be the number two guy because we can't do this. Now, you're sitting there saying, what's Larson talking about? We don't have that in our country. Well, I think that in much more subtle ways, we're living in a time when if you are known as a person of faith, you may encounter certain kinds of pressures. And this is what Peter talks about as a time to get tested. Fiery ordeals don't have to involve the conflagration of a building. Fiery ordeals can be the fire in your stomach as you're going through Difficult encounters with co-workers, neighbors, friends who think less of you because you identify as a person of faith. Christ is present with you too. And Christ is present with you too in that time, most especially as the one not only who walks with you, but who prays for you. And that's the last scene. The last scene. John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's the last thing he does with his disciples around the table of the Last Supper. He has washed their feet. He has surprised them by speaking strange words over the bread and wine of the Passover meal. And now at the, and then he assures them of his love in a long speech and at the end of it he prays. And they're all sitting around the table still. You have to imagine that as you hear John 17. They're sitting there looking at him as he lifts up his eyes and begins to pray aloud. And what he prays for, in kind of a stream of consciousness way, is that these people whom he loves, whom he knows will go out into the world to live good news. He prays that they may become a part of the unity he shares with the Father and the Advocate, the Spirit. He prays, and we are meant to overhear this prayer. We are meant to see ourselves seated at the table to hear this prayer. Jesus lives according to the writer to the Hebrews, to pray for us. And so Jesus has ascended into the depths of all things. Most especially, Jesus has ascended into the depths of human suffering and the suffering of creation in order there not only to share that with us, but also to constantly pray for us, For all creation from within this pain. I don't know about you, but I find that tremendously comforting. I find that to be tremendously good news that Christ is hidden within everything to share it and to take it into the heart of God. You can count on the freedom that that gives you. You can count on knowing that because Christ is with you, you can continue to face the tests that come your way, because the tests of faith are also the occasions for faith. In Christ's name, amen.